When I started out teaching or throughout my teaching career, if a student asked me a question I didn't know the answer to, uh, I would always say that I don't know the answer, but I can get it for you. And I never had any type of uh, problem doing that instead of pretending like I knew stuff that I didn't know. And this episode is me trying to understand stuff that I didn't know. My friend Sharita is a representative of the LGBTQ plus community. She lives a polyamorous lifestyle. These are all things that, you know, uh, I know little about, but I'm interested in knowing because as you know, I always like to know how people show up and identify in their lives. These, these are the things that make me curious. Um, so I was really, uh, engaged in this conversation. I learned a lot. Um, and of course, I asked the right person because one thing I know about my friend is that uh, she doesn't have any lacking of self-confidence. So uh, she is willing and ready to represent herself uh, at any time. And y'all will see that in this episode. Uh, the conversation was engaging to me. I learned a lot and I hope that anybody having questions about these sort of things will listen and learn a lot as well so uh on over talk it here it is the latest episode of vulnerability is the new sexy okay sharita i'm gonna get right to it i want to ask you a question before uh, we get into anything, I guess I need to understand how exactly do you identify? Oh, great question. So I identify as a Black cisgendered queer polyamorous woman. Okay. Black cisgendered queer polyamorous woman. Mm-hmm. And my pronouns are she and her. Okay. Now, I don't know what any of that means. Well, I know what some <laughs> of it means, but not all of it. So break it down for me, if you don't mind. Yeah, no, absolutely. So black, right? I'm sure you know what that means. Um, cisgender just means that I identify with the, the sexual, the sexual biological sex that was assigned to me at birth. So okay. I was assigned being female, I identify with being female. Um, and I honestly, I utilize the word queer because I get tired of having to validate my sexuality. So I'm actually bisexual, um, although I lean towards just dating women pretty much exclusively now. Um, I never will lose the label of being bisexual. Um, so I have a whole thing when it comes to bi erasure. And so if you were to see me out with a woman, people would automatically assume I'm a lesbian. If you see me out with a, a male, people will just assume that I'm heterosexual. There's no validity um, when it comes to being bisexual. So I just don't like to have to always validate it. Um, some people in heterosexual spaces will think you're just gay for the guy when you say you're bisexual, just to have threesomes. Um, in queer spaces, sometimes people are like, oh, you're just confused or it's a phase, you need to pick a side when really this is just who I am. So to not always have to go into a lot of detail, I just utilize the term queer. Um, polyamorous, meaning that I believe in the ability to have multiple connections, romantic connection, connections and sexual connections as well. And I don't think they have to um, happen sequentially. I think you can have them at the same time. And yeah, and I'm a woman. Okay, that was all really fast. 
and really detailed. So let me ask a question. What, how does using the word queer uh, protect you from explaining or validating yourself for some, I, I don't understand. So tell me, tell me how that, how that works. If you don't mind. Yeah. So queer is like an umbrella term. So you don't know if I'm mm-hmm. saying I'm queer when it comes to my sexual orientation. You don't know if I'm saying I'm queer when it comes to my gender identity. I can say I'm queer and I, it could mean that I'm trans. Um, I could say I'm queer and it could just mean that I'm gender fluid or I'm non-binary. I could mean that I'm a lesbian, that I'm bisexual, that someone's gay. I may be pansexual. I may be asexual. They, you know, there's all these different terminologies. So queer is like an umbrella term. And so just lets you know that I identify with, with what I like to call the alphabet mafia, but LGBTQ plus. And you don't have to, that doesn't cause for more questions when you just say I'm queer. Like, oh, what does that mean? What, what part of queer are you? Hanging on so to. very seldom will someone ask if they do ask though I think they're coming from a place of genuinely wanting to be educated and want to know what it means and so if you are bold enough to ask me normally people come in a very you know respectful way and then I, I'm, I'm good to have that conversation because I'm not ashamed of my identity at all um, so I used to be very out loud about the fact that I was bisexual but then when I say that it would be Oh, girl, you just want to have a open to threesomes. Or you're just saying you're bisexual because it must be easier for you to come out bisexual versus um, saying that you're a lesbian. And I never came out. This is just who I've always been. So queer is just an umbrella term. And it probably leads, leaves people with some questions. But if you're a friend or an acquaintance, if you work with me and you're around me enough, you're going to know eventually anyway. So you, so you say it's it's who you've always been, right? So are you saying that you've never known or never had a moment where you will kind of figured out or recognize that you were bisexual? So I was 11 the first time I kissed a girl before I ever kissed a guy. I was raised by two Marines in a military household, so I didn't have access to any kind of videos or TV shows or magazines or movies that would show me um, any kind of LGBTQ plus relationships. Um, so it just seemed natural to me. Didn't seem like it was problematic. I think that I was maybe like 14 when I moved to Texas and I lived uh, with civilians for the first time. And so I think I was exposed a little bit more then. But by then, I just knew that I liked girls and I liked boys too. Um, and so I don't think that I had a moment of trying to figure out I was bisexual. I did think I had a moment of trying to figure out what was wrong with me when I was um, ethically non-monogamous in high school and eventually figured out I was polyamorous. Um, but as far as my sexuality, I've, it's just always been a thing. I didn't have like this huge coming out story where I felt the need to like sit down and tell my family um, and I might be jumping ahead. So my apologies. So, so ethically non-monogamous does just mean you just couldn't get couldn't right. Get right. Is that what you're trying to tell me? So ethically non-monogamous is me just not necessarily aligning with monogamy. So for instance, in high school, it wasn't an issue for me if somebody I was dating wanted to date someone else and it wasn't an issue for me to date other people. And so I remember um, I had to be like 15 and I went to the mall with someone and then I came home and I got a call from a guy I was dating. He was at work and he called me and was like, so-and-so just came in here and they said they saw you at the mall with someone else. And I was like, okay, because I didn't understand where we were going with this. 
And he was like, was it true? And I'm like, yeah, like we were at the mall hanging out. And I just couldn't understand like what was wrong with that. You know, you can have, you have two biological parents and you can have adopted parents and other people you view as parents and you can love them and no one tells you to choose one. You can love all your siblings and no one tells you to choose one. You can love all your cousins. You can have multiple best friends and no one tells you to choose one. But there's this one relationship construct that society wants you to limit on. And I don't understand why love is able to grow in abundance in other spaces, but this one particular one is you're supposed to limit yourself. And you've always felt like this. Yeah, I have. Okay, so you said uh, you didn't recognize it was problematic until you were uh, in high school. There was no issue with your family when you were, uh, when I mean, when they, when they, you were figuring out that you were bisexual, that you were, what do you call it, ethically <laughs> non-monogamous. So what's interesting about my family is that they're super dope, right? They're real supportive. Um, I never, like, I just brought a girl home. I was in college and I was dating this girl and I just brought her home and, you know, we were hanging down. I was like, oh, this is my girl, Ebony, introduced her to my parents, didn't think anything of it. So there was never like a sit down and let you know, I may date women, I may date men, I may date, you know, there was none of that. I just brought her home. And I think I was, I was in college. I was probably like 19 at the time. Um, and then I will say that there's probably a shift in society now versus when you know we were younger. I think when we were younger, um, parents were like, you know, you're supposed to date, get to know people, you don't want to settle down too early. Now I think because of the increase in like STDs and pregnancy, there's a shift in people, you know, parents don't want that happening so much. So me dating different people was kind of normal because the messaging we received when we were younger was to get to know people and date people. I don't think that parents were aware that you know kids were as sexually active back then as, as they were and so the thought process was probably we were just dating to know people and that was just kind of the process of dating um so me dating multiple people was just normal um but yeah there was no coming out I just brought a girl home so I've known you a while and you are by far one of the most confident people I've ever met in my entire life so I know how some of these questions are going to go. So what I was, what I want to ask you is, kids being who they are, kids being what they were, did you come across any problems when it came to your sexuality as far as uh, being in school or dealing with friends or like, uh, you know, you know what I'm trying to say? I, I personally did not. Do I think that some people had some things to say? Absolutely. I think there were a lot of things that were probably said that, that didn't make their way to me. I think a couple of the things that did make their way to me, I addressed it. I asked, and I think people normally would just lie. Like, I didn't say that. or That's not how I meant it. Um, there'd be one or two people who would be like, well, I said it, but it was more like I was trying to understand. I had questions. And so I challenged that as why you need to understand what I'm doing. Like if we're not dating, if I'm not with you, how is that your concern? How is it your business? And so normally they would, you know, just really back down. I never had anyone, you know, tell me they're not my friend anymore or try to challenge me on it or just call me out about it. But I am certain that people had some stuff to say. They just weren't bold enough to say it to my face. Mm. Yeah, I kind of figured that's how the question was going to go. <laughs> <laughs> so what about... I, I work with I work with you for a while, 
I've known you for a long time, and I think I might have known you about almost a decade before I knew you were bisexual. <laughs> so, um, and I'm, I'm, I know it's not because you were hiding it, because that's not who you are, but you also weren't, like, announcing it either. Um, you were just living your life, I assume, mm-hmm. uh, because that's what I know of you. So did you find any uh, any issues in the workforce or, or in your work environment as you were going through uh, the corporate structures? So I will say work is the one place that I probably didn't live out loud as I do in every other sector, excuse me, of my life. Um, I didn't just, you know, we met, you know, I was working, we were working in the financial industry and it tends to be more conservative industry. And so I, I kind of was at a, you know, separation of work in personal life. And so for the longest, I just was not out about anything about being polyamorous, about being my sexual orientation. Um, that changed at my last employer. I was there for 10 years and I was real heads down, um, get my job done. And I remember my manager, she was in Maryland and I'm in Texas. And she said to me, you know, you're really good at your job, but no one's ever going to know who you are. I need you to start getting active. Like, you know, go be, be part of the employee resource groups, do something. And I was like, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm just going to work. I'm good at my job. It's what I'm paid for. I, that's it. People don't need to know my personal life. And she said to me, I know that that was probably something you were taught in school. Keep, you know, personal, uh, separate. And I'm sure you've lived by that, but times are changing people need to connect. They want to know who people are. And I still wasn't feeling it. But then I started, I will say, I started getting active employee resource groups or started like with the Black Professionals group because you can visibly tell I'm Black. So I'm going to get, you know, get active in that. And then um, I would, I really started fostering and adopting at that point. And so let me get active in the Parent Caregivers Network because y'all know I'm a parent. So I was just kind of easing my way in. And then I had a friend join the company and they were like, how are you not part of the LGBTQ plus ERG? Like, you know, we, we walk in, in the pride parade every year. Like, you need to come on. And so I started going to some of the meetings and I started, um, you know, just being being active in the group and then taking on some leadership roles. And I would tell you, I feel like there was a shift in my career at that point. Um, I started being asked to do podcasts. I listened to conferences to teach different products on behalf of the organization. Um, I, I did these courageous conversations that they had. I literally taught a bisexual one-on-one class at my, at my organization because they had these different learnings that people could just, you know, so you get knowledge and you wouldn't discriminate against people. And so I didn't run into any issues. What happened was um, work got better for me. <laughs> when people knew who I was so the whole like showing up your full authentic self it, it worked out a lot better for me and so since then I'm really really loud about it I start meetings with my pronouns I tell you who I am because representation matters and I will say when I left that organization went to the new one I was managing 63 people across the country and there were people when I saw I was leaving who said you know I never felt comfortable coming out at work until I worked for you and so I just came out like I just told you and now you're leaving I don't know what to do and I'm like oh no you'll be fine like this organization's fine the person who's taking over for me is going to be great um but that representation made them feel comfortable to show up them you know as themselves and so I didn't have any issues again I don't know how many people were going to say things to me because <laughs> you say something to me, I'm going to say something back. Um, but it, it, it has definitely launched my career. I think just being who I am. So why, again, knowing who you are, 
why were you not comfortable coming out with it at first? I think, so I graduated undergrad in 2005 and I remember um, I had to take a professional development class and it was just really drilled in us that, you know, hey, separation of work from your personal life. You don't talk about religion at work. You don't talk about politics at work. You don't talk about sexual orientation at work. You just talk about work at work, right? And I think for the longest time, that's just how corporate America has been run. You just keep those private things to yourself because you don't want it to bleed over into work. And then you don't have a good working relationship with someone um, because you all don't see eye to eye on something. And I feel like there's just been a big shift. I will say in the last two years, right? There's been a big shift for organization, you know, really, really focused on DEI. Um, but before that, the company I was at um, for 10 years was already there. They were already focused on it and they just would preach it, bring your full authentic self to work. When you show up your full self, you'll be more comfortable, will be more productive, it's better for the organization. And at first I just didn't believe it. I just did not believe it. And um, sexual orientation did not become a protected class where you couldn't be fired until a couple of years ago. It's 2022. I think it happened. In, it was after um, gay marriage was legalized. So it had to be within like the last five, five years. And it was when Trump was still in office. And so um, that's when the Supreme Court said you cannot fire someone for, your, for, your, for their sexual orientation. So being Black, I was protected. Being a woman, I was protected. Being a parent, I was protected. Being queer, I was not. And so if you, and, and I live in Texas, which is pretty conservative. And so if they had a problem with that and they wanted to fire me, they could, and there was nothing I could do about it. But now that's not the case. So it's pretty much regular corporate politics that kept you from saying what you wanted to say. That and I have bills. You can't be like, you know, firing me and stuff. I gotta, I gotta pay these bills. This is a fact. Take me through your, the dynamics of your first committed relationship. Was that a guy? Was that a girl? What the, the relationship you consider to be a real one? Uh, so my first committed um, that I would consider a real one would probably be a male. Um, and I had a lot of relationships with men. I'll be honest, because I'm pretty free, you know, I'm pro-ho. I had a lot of sexual relationships with women. I think there were a lot of women who were scared to be themselves, scared to be with other women. Um, and so be okay for us to have sexual relationships. It would be okay for us to do things behind closed doors and in secret, but full-fledged relationships, they just weren't ready yet. And so I think the, you know, my first relationship was definitely a male Um and probably several thereafter, I think. And that's, I'm talking like through high school. And then in college, um, when I was dating this young lady named Ebony, she was really open uh, and, and that was totally fine. And so that felt good not to have to hide anything. Um, I don't do that with like secrecy. Okay. So up through college is, okay. By college, you had experienced your first serious relationship with a man, first serious relationship with a woman. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when did you decide that, okay, uh, I need to be free to date or be with or have an emotional connection with whoever I want to be connected with? Oh, I probably decided that when I was young, maybe like middle school, high school. Um, the issue I will say I ran into is, so I, I was, I was raised, um, in the church, um, still identify as, as, as Christian, um, the, the issue I had was, okay, 
if I decide to be with a woman and let's say I have to live my relationship and, and marry a woman, that's a sin that I will be, you know, according to the Bible, that's a sin that I would just be, you know, consistently doing. But I was like, if the Bible says <laughs> that, you know, all sins are created equal, then this is no different than anything else. But because it's a visible sin, people feel away about it. And so I was kind of like, you know, trying to, probably struggling a little bit there with the religious upbringing and also being who I, who I, who I was and who I am. Um, on the flip side, I feel like I can show up my true authentic self in relationships with women. I am more dominant in all my relationships. And so having those relationships with men sometimes can be a struggle because they tend to want to be more dominant and they tend to want to, you know, control stuff. And I'm just like, that's not, you know, my daddy raised me to change my own oil, change my own tires, you know, handle my business, take care of it. And so much so that I remember when I was younger, I was with my dad and we went out to eat and I was really young and I sat to where my back wasn't facing the door. And my dad said, okay, now you're sitting in my seat. And I was like, what do you mean? I'm just, I just want to sit back on the, the comfy part of the, the, you know, the booth. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, I can't sit with my back facing the door because if so, if, some, if something were to come in, I can't protect you. So who's ever sitting facing the door is a protector. So if somebody comes in with a gun, a bat, or trying to hurt so you have to be able to handle that. I was probably five or six. So I got up and sat on the other <laughs> side, right? <laughs> but as I've gotten older, I always want to watch my surroundings. I want to make sure if anybody's coming in, I can protect whoever I'm with. Well, other male identifying partners didn't like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I can't sit my back to the door. But my female identifying partners, that was fine. They wanted to be protected. They wanted me to be that person. And so I felt like I was constantly having to like compromise and, and not be the protector and not try to kind of basically run and control everything um, in relationships with men. Mm. So there is a power struggle or power dynamic when it comes to stuff like that for you is that a common issue I don't know if I want to call it common I don't even know if it's a struggle like I've had male partners tell me you don't even need a man and I'm like I don't and then they get upset about it and I'm like listen if 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 someone needs you right and you are fulfilling a need that means someone else can come fulfill that need so if you're just paying bills or helping around around the house or whatever that's like a task someone else can do what you want is for me to want you because if I want you nobody else can feel that if I need you to do something I need you to change my tires on my car I need you to change the air filter I need you to run me around and drive me places somebody else can do that but nobody can be you if I want you and I've had some male identifying partners that could grasp that and it was fine and I've had some that just don't get and they're like no like I want a woman to need me it's not gonna be me I'm not going to ask you for money. I don't want you to pay my bills. I can change my own flat tire. I can change my own oil. I can do all that because my daddy required that before I could drive a car because he didn't want me sitting on the side of the road waiting for no man to come save me. So that whole need versus want thing, that would be the struggle. Uh, me having a job that pays well, me having a couple of different degrees, like that would be a constant thing. I remember a male friend of mine telling me, hey, I was in my 20s. He said, maybe when you're getting to know guys, you shouldn't tell them that you have your master's degree. 
why would I not do that? Well, it can come off intimidating, and then guys are gonna think you make a lot of money, and they're and it was like this whole laundry list. And I said, I don't want a man that's gonna feel like that. That's insecurity. That's not gonna work for me. I don't have that problem with female identifying partners. Mm. You took my next question away. <laughs> I was gonna ask you if that's an issue for uh, for your female relationship. So it's it is not. And never intimidated um, by you. Uh, I'm not gonna say. Oh well. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I'm saying they're never intimidated by me, but it's never the, oh, you have too much education or you make too much money or like, I haven't, I haven't dealt with those particular struggles. I think, you know, you mentioned I'm pretty confident. I think that has been a, um, an interesting situation with all my partners. Um, I don't get jealous very easily. If you're telling me you're hanging out with a friend, and all honesty, I'm probably an easy person to cheat on if someone wants to do that. Because if you tell me you're doing something, I'm just going to believe you. I'm not calling you. I'm not checking up on you. Holler at me when you're done, because I'm going to be doing something anyway, right? And so I, I believe in autonomy. I believe in adults' right to choose and freedom. And I'm just not a, you got to check in with me. Let me stalk you kind of person. Um, I don't think it's healthy. And I believe in a certain degree of separation. I know some couples get together and they're like joined at the hip. They're like out, they're one, they have to do everything together. They do all their friends events together. That is not me. I want to miss you. I want to have my separate life with my friends. I want you to have time. And then maybe that separate life, but I want you to have time with your friends. Then we can come back and we can talk about it. If we're together all the time, what are we talking about? <laughs> it's just us, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I want to do couple stuff too. And so I think that has been something that some, you know, both female and male identifying partners struggle with. I'm pretty confident. I know I'm super dope. And so if you want to do something else, that's fine. It's not a reflection on me. It's a reflection on you. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, if you ever dated me, you lost me. That is your fault. <laughs> I am so awesome. <laughs> Ooh, you make it hard. You make it hard for me not to tell these jokes. You know, you know how I get now. Come on now. Um, Okay, so I'm not crazy. I know I sat at a whole ass wedding, mm-hmm. and for you, I was there. And it's time I didn't know any of this. Uh, like I said, not that you were hiding it, I just didn't know. So I want to know when you got married, how does that change the dynamics of the way you were choosing to live your life? So when I got married um, to a male identifying partner, he knew I was bisexual. He knew I was polyamorous. Um, I will say that I actually never wanted to be married. He's fully aware of that. Um, But I will say that it felt like at the time I was marrying my best friend. I had met someone who completely accepted me for who I was. They weren't trying to sexualize my sexuality. And what I mean by that is what I have experienced is male identifying partners knowing that I'm bisexual, they think, oh, I'm about to have all the threesomes in the world when this ain't got nothing to do with you. <laughs> so back away. Um, he wasn't doing any of that. And so when he asked me to marry him, um, it was a shock. We had never had like a discussion about marriage because he knew I didn't want to be married. Um, but I was like, okay, all right, this, this is what he wants. I love him and I want to be with him. I can do that because I don't have to change who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so, so you sat at a whole wedding, um, at the wedding, there probably was like one or two people there that I also was seeing <laughs> that was at my wedding. Um, and I was never monogamous. 
I would think what did happen is there was a hierarchy that was instituted there. Um, and I just think, you know, hierarchies are kind of innate when you live with someone, when you're, they're, you know, a nesting partner of yours, when you share finances, when you share children, um, there's a certain hierarchy that is kind of put in place. And so that was different for me because I was kind of moving freely as I wanted to before. Um, but as far as my sexual orientation, as far as um, how I love my love style, none of that changed. Mm. So a hierarchy. Yeah. Instituted immediately. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So now we got to break down the, the polyamorous lifestyle just a little bit. Because okay. that's two different things, right? When you are single and polyamorous and married and polyamorous, correct? Um, so I guess it depends, right? So polyamorous just means many loves. Um, there are some people who, and I wouldn't say single because when they have, when they're polyamorous, they have relationships, they're not single, but they don't have a, you know, a, maybe a nesting partner or they're not legally married. It doesn't invalidate their relationships or make them less than. You have some people who are solo poly. And what that means is they don't want any kind of escalator relationship. They're not looking to nest with people. They're not looking to um, get married. They're probably not looking to intermingle finances, that kind of thing. They're going to have just individual relationships. Um, and in some people, you know, not being married, they do still have primary partners. And so they still have hierarchies. So there's a lot when it comes to polyamory. Um, I just want to be clear. I am anti, I'm not going to say anti, I am not pro-polygamy. Um, I think polygamy is very one-sided. And so polygamy is going to be one individual with multiple spouses. Mm-hmm. Um, the most common form that people see is polygamy, which is one man and multiple wives. Um, those wives don't have other relationships. Polyandry is also very popular in certain parts of the world. And it's going to be one woman with multiple husbands and those husbands oh. don't have other relationships. Um, and then polygamy is kind of that umbrella term because you can have one woman who has multiple spouses who are male and female, that, that kind of thing. Um, I just think it's one-sided. I think if one person has the ability to love multiple people, then those people do too. So polyamory is how I love. Um, and that means that my partners can also have other partners as well. Um, and, and there may be, you know, I've had situations where I didn't have a primary partner. Um, when I got married, I did have a primary partner and he was my nesting partner. And that's how the hierarchy came into place. And so the hierarchy, you know, we didn't have veto power. And so what veto power means is that you can just basically veto somebody and say, no, nope, you can't date that person. We don't do that because people are not disposable. But we're not together anymore, so we didn't do that. Um, but people are not disposable. And so you're, you're not just going to come in and say, oh, no, you can't date that person because I don't like them. No, we're not doing that. But if you have an issue, we can talk that through. Because a lot of it, if it's jealousy, might be your self-work that you need to do. Um, so when it came to our hierarchy, it was more about the fact that if there were going to be any trips that were going to occur, we had to, you know, check our finances. We had to make sure if we're going on dates, we got to check with the other person to make sure that the household is covered with the children. Um, you know, just that kind of thing. So I don't, my outside partners, I don't have to run finances by them. I don't have to run dates by them, you know, because we don't live together. So we don't have the same, you know, commingling of funds and family, that kind of thing. So when you get married, when you got married specifically, was your husband at the time already polyamorous or did he have to adapt that lifestyle messing around with you? 
I will not, I will say he was non-monogamous. I'm not going to say he was polyamorous. <laughs> and I don't mean that shade at all. So, you know, the term ethically non-monogamous covers a lot. It covers polyamory, it covers polygamy, it covers open relationships, it covers swinging, it covers a lot. And so I will just say that he was um, non-monogamous um, and that he probably interacted with other people, but not having actual relationships. It probably was more casual. Mm. Which is not what you do. So I've had different stages in my life. I think that, so when I was in high school and you know, early years of college, I didn't know what, I, I didn't know what the term was for me. Um, I will say that people thought I was kind of weird. <laughs> so I thought maybe something's wrong with me because everyone else just wants to find this one person to be with this one person forever. And they want this one person to be their everything. I'm my own primary partner. I want me to be everything for me because I love me and I'm totally fine to be by myself. If I'm always trying to find fulfillment in someone else, then I can't find fulfillment in myself. And so I didn't understand that. And then um, I, I was swinging for a while. So it was purely just, you know, sexual interactions with people. And then I did like the casual dating thing. Um, I remember this show came out on Showtime called a uh, polyamorous uh, married and dating mm -hmm. and so then I was like exposed to the word polyamory I was like oh let me do some research on that and I was like oh that's me that's what and so then I was able to really get my label of, of what I was I know some people go through this these phases or whatnot where they say oh labels aren't important you know um you know they hate to be labeled but I find labels very important your name is a label it lets people know how you identify and so I think that we do need labels on certain things and so I need you to know that I'm polyamorous. I don't do open relationships. My life is not a free-for-all. I'm definitely not doing polygamy. Um, and not really on the swinging side of things anymore. Although I'm totally pro-ho and fine with, you know, casual encounters. Um, so I, I did the casual thing for a while. And then I felt like, especially when I was married doing the casual thing, I kind of felt like, oh, it's just kind of a lot of in and out. And I'm, I'm a bit of, a, I'm doing better. I'm reformed, but I'm a bit of an NRE junkie, which stands for new relationship energy. So just that excitement when you're getting to know people. And when that was out, I would be out. And I hurt some people's feelings doing that, to be honest with you. You were getting to know each other, we're hanging out. It's great. You got the butterflies, you get to know people. And then once that high was gone for me, I was done. I would just let them go. And that was a nice, I called out for it. Yeah, I got called out for it. I heard a couple people telling. You're a savage. I mean, I just be doing my thing. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Mm -hmm. um, I'm better. I'm better. I'm not doing that anymore. And um, and so, yes, yeah, so I'm not as casual as I used to be. But I have to try to know my limits. At one point, I had four partners. And for the majority of that time, none of those partners had other local partners. And so it was just me trying to tend to four people. And that was difficult. There's only seven days in a week. I can't even give you all two your own days. And then again, I love me. I want my own alone time. And that was too much. So definitely would not do that again. Mm. So what's the solution? You start breaking up with people? I did, but for different reasons. <laughs> it wasn't like I was... Oh, you know, just breaking up with everyone. Um, decided to end the marriage, and then like, well, there, now decided to end the marriage. And a couple months later, I think I got mad at like everyone that week, and just ended up breaking up with everyone. But then went back and repaired some of those relationships. So, 
did the marriage ending have anything to do with being polyamorous? Um, you know, from my perspective, the answer is no. From his perspective, I think the answer might be yes. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I think it, I think it's a lot to deal with if you are not naturally polyamorous. And I can say that there was a period where I could have done better um, reassuring him and his place that he had in my life. But because of some of the things that were going on, I was like, no, nah, I'm not giving you that. So you do better in, in this other area. And so it was almost probably like a tit for tat battle occurring. Um, and I think in order for me to not be angry in the household all the time, I probably checked out and was using other spaces to find my peace, um, which I'm sure contributed to it. Um, I would never say somebody else is 100% at fault, but it is what it is and kind of knew who I was when you met me. So, mm. so let me ask you this question. Meet me. I meet you on the street. We start having a casual relationship. Am I now polyamorous by association? You are not. I have actually dated people who are monogamous. So there are poly mono relationships um, where somebody I was I was I was seeing I was seeing I've seen a couple of people who were who were monogamous to me. Um, but that can be a lot if they don't have a lot going on in their own life. Like if they're not working a lot and maybe have like hobbies and a lot of friends. Um, friend events or whatever because what will happen is they're expecting me to show up 24 7 in their life and I just can't um having other relationships and so for me that's a bit much um but yeah no you're definitely not in order for you to be polyamorous you, you would have to be open to and not necessarily having to practice but open to believing and knowing that people can have multiple connections whether it's sexual whether it's romantic um and sometimes people don't do that. They just want to focus solely on one relationship, which is totally fine. Everyone's not meant to be monogamous. Everyone's not meant to be polyamorous. Oh, okay. So um, when you, when, have you ever actually been in a situation where it was kind of considered that you actually cheated on somebody? Uh, I'm sure people have considered that. I'm sure. I am sure people have thought that. Because here's the thing. If I tell you up front who I am, I tell you I'm polyamorous, I believe in open relating, all the things. And then I happen to meet someone and you get upset about it and you feel like I cheated. That's kind of like your thing. You got to work that out because you know who I was. You know, I'm very open and you're finding these things out, not because you're going through my stuff or you're snooping. It's because I'm telling you. And so, you know, so if you're, if I'm in a monogamous situation, let's say me and you are at like a a professional function or a bar or something that I meet you and we start talking and we have a connection, right? Mm -hmm. And we exchange information and we start talking in a monogamous setting that's likely to be viewed as cheating. Why are you getting somebody else's number? Why are you talking to them? You got a partner, blah, blah, blah. But it really could be us exploring what that connection could be. Our connection could be purely platonic. It could be a business connection. It could be purely sexual. It could be romantic. It could be you connect me with something else for like work or business. But because monogamy puts so many constraints on what you're allowed to do, you don't have the ability to let that, that, that new connection form organically and what, it's, what it could be. So I am certain 
I've had situations where people felt like, and have and actually have told me that they felt like I was cheating. That's your shit. That is your, oh, can we cuss on here? I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> okay. That is your, um, your, and I don't want to say brainwashing, but, but, but what you have in your idea of what a relationship should be. And it's, and it's rooted in monogamy. And so you don't feel like, and what's even more interesting with me, because normally it's a whole opposite sex thing, right? You have people who are like, oh, my man can't have female friends and, and no, my girl can't have male friends. Well, I'm bisexual. So what are we doing here? Because I can have all the friends and I could be sleeping with all of them or I could be, like, you don't know. And so I think that as long as I'm communicating and I'm clear about it and I set the expectations, if you feel like I cheated, then you need to do the work and figure that out. So you're saying polyamory gives you, gives people an opportunity to maybe not miss out on friendships that they could have, you know, because you never know what that connection is. It could just be a friendship. Absolutely. And you're not allowed to build those in monogamous relationships because just the pure start of having conversations with somebody else is considered cheating. Yeah. Like I am in all Mm -hmm. these different like Facebook groups Mm -hmm. and these, I love women. These women be killing me. Like it's just like, my man can't do this and he's got an ex and, and he shouldn't be talking to that ex. Why not? Some people get in relationships and figure out, you know what, we would be better as friends you know, and, and, and so they transition. Right. It's what happens. You get to know people. And so just the restrictions that are put on, I just, I can't deal with that. Right. So tell me where, um, the intersection of black and polyamory meet, like, is there a culture, an entire culture or subculture right there? Yes. There is. So I, um, for years, there's a nonprofit called Black and Poly. And so for about four years, I hosted the meetups here in Dallas. I just stopped when the whole pandemic thing happened because we weren't allowed to do anything in person. Um, But I am in a lot of groups that are specific to the Black polyamorous community for a couple reasons. Um, One, sometimes Black people just like to be around other Black people. Um, Also, a lot of times there are other discussions we want to have without being fetishized fetishized however you say it um and so that happens a lot where I will have people who are not black will approach me and say I'm just your skin is beautiful and I love your hair and I've just never been with a black person okay (laughs) like why are you approaching me like that you know Mm -hmm. I will say something that's very interesting is when it comes to the LGBTQ plus community I find more acceptance in white spaces than we do in black spaces Mm -hmm. now I find more acceptance in black polyamorous spaces because they tend to be more liberal thinking um and so it's always interesting to see what happens in different spaces that you're in. But yes, there is definitely um, communities catering specific to the Black and polyamorous from conferences to newsletters and podcasts and, um, you know, Facebook groups or Instagram and Twitter pages and all the things. Do you find it easier to just kind of date in those circles or do you just do whatever? I find it easier. So I find it easier. So generally speaking, I just say black people. And it's not that I'm not open to anyone else. I just prefer black people. Um, I will say I had a period where I was not dating in those spaces at all, especially when I was leading the black and poly meetups um, for a couple reasons. One, 
newbies are going to come to me with a lot of questions and then immediately feel like they want to date me and no I'm good I don't like I don't especially if it's a, a new couple coming in I don't like to date in those spaces because y'all are still trying to figure out stuff and I don't want the drama and my and I'm not disposable and so I don't want my feelings to get hurt in the midst of that so I don't do that but then you have people who feel like I'm like the poly expert because I'm leading these and so they're like intimidated by me and then I just felt like all my business circulating around. So for the longest, I didn't date in those spaces at all, which is how I ended up dating a lot of monogamous people. Um, and that could be frustrating as well. So then I shifted to being open to dating in the spaces. And in some aspects, it was great. In some, not so much. Um, because if I like maybe didn't post pictures of a particular partner recently, then it was like the rumor mill of, oh, they must not be together because she's posting other people and she's not posting this person. And, you know, if if one of my partners commented on my posts a lot or reference, you know, made little references to let it be known that they were dating me, then people would feel like they're marking their territory. And it was just, it was just too much, right? It was, it was a little childish. Um, so then I'm just kind of in a space where I date in those spaces, but people just don't know it. Mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, posting as much as I used to, um, just kind of backing off from that. Because people with social media, they like to track your moves and I don't like that. In the beginning, you said that you are almost exclusively dating women. Is that yeah. intentional or? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's intentional. I, you know, so that's a couple of things. I, and I love men. I will always, you know, find them attractive. Um, but I just don't know how sexually attractive I am to men anymore. And there's mm. already that kind of that power struggle we've talked about where the whole, you know, they want, you know, them wanting to be more dominant. I also sometimes in, fe- in feminine presenting, a lot of times I'm pretty androgynous and the other times masculine presenting, that can be a struggle. I remember I was pretty masculine presenting in, in college and that was a struggle for guys I was dating because they wanted me to look like a girl. And so I did start to conform and be more girly and all the things. Um, but I'm my most comfortable when I'm not when I'm probably a little bit more androgynous um, presenting. And so it, it, I just feel more comfortable. I just feel more like myself. Um, I don't feel like I have to hide anything. I don't feel like I have to adjust. If I want to be feminine, I can. If I want to be masculine, I can. If I want to be kind of in between, I can. If I, you know, there's never, I, I never have a female identifying partner saying, oh God, can you put a skirt on? Or no, nah, I want you to wear a tux today. Like they're fine with however I show up. It's just less work, sounds like. It is. It is definitely less work. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, you definitely weren't masculine presenting when you showed up at the 90s party. <laughs> <laughs> Structures were very clear, but you, <laughs> you and your two friends showed up all Listen. out in the open, didn't you? Listen, I was coming from a different event, and I asked you, are there going to be kids? And you were like, no. And then I was like, cool. So I showed up. I showed up, but I was cute though. No masculine presenting at that night. <laughs> so uh, you were also somebody's whole mom out here in these streets. I am. A couple people's whole mom out in these streets. Yeah, um, I've got uh, two biological children, four adopted children, three of which are already grown, and then several foster kids that have aged out um, that come back around. So yeah. So is that an issue when you're a foster parent or adoptive parent? Do you do 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 you get harshly judged for your sexuality or your? So as far as the state of Texas is concerned, uh, the answer is no. 
if we're talking about like the licensing agencies. With that being said, there are a lot of foster care agencies that are very religious based. And mm-hmm. once you to sign like faith-based statements and, and in those statements, they will say that um, they agree with, you know, marriages between the man and the woman, that kind of thing. I did not have that kind of agency. My agency was very clear on who I was um, and we had no issues. As far as my children are concerned, my children are 100% aware that I am queer, specifically bisexual, and I'm polyamorous. I think people hide things that they're ashamed of, and I'm not ashamed of me. And I want my children to be exposed to a plethora of things so they can make their own decisions about what works best for them. Do I want my children to be polyamorous? No. Do I want my children to be monogamous? No. Do I want them to be queer? No. I want them to be whoever they are going to be. And I just want them to know that I'm going to support them. And so I have had children in my home that identify with being LGBTQ+. I've had children in my home who don't and struggle with understanding. And so we have conversations about it. Um, we just don't hate. I just teach love. Mm. So do you, do you, what kind of, uh, I mean, have you had um, any kind of questions that were difficult to answer? I'm guessing no, but I'm going to ask anyway. um so I will say what was difficult is I had a partner so my 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 ex-spouse used to work overnight and kids would go to bed like nine or ten and at this time I probably hadn't introduced any partners to my kids but they were aware and I had a partner that would come over like at night and just hang out we'd be in the room we'd watch tv do whatever um and I had a kiddo we didn't quite understand what polyamorous meant. And we had the conversation. I kind of talked to him about it. It was more of explaining different love styles than it was like, watch me practice polyamory, right? Mm-hmm. And so he was having it. He was 17. He was having a conversation with my brother and he was upset with me, got in trouble in school. He was upset with me. And he made a comment to my brother of, well, she just acts like she's so perfect, but you know, every time dad goes to work and that white charger pulls up, she thinks we don't know that white charger's coming. So I guess he thought I was cheating. Mm. And so in essence, he was mad. And so now that you're mad, you're talking shit about me to my brother. So now my brother's gonna call me and tell me. So now we gotta have a conversation. Mm-hmm. And so that was an interesting perspective because I had the conversation in front of my spouse. So you understand that he's aware of what's going on. We told you about this, right? And so now we got to go into more t- detail and explain to you. But first, we're going to talk about loyalty, which you're not going to do. You live in my house and talk shit about me outside. Mm-hmm. What happens in this, in this house stays in this house. So we had to have a lesson on that because what I don't play about is loyalty. Um, but otherwise, um, I think the only other question I, I got was, well, if you're bisexual and the Bible says that homosexuality is wrong, but we go to church, how does that work? So that was an interesting question I got. And I said, well, you know what? There's a couple ways I I can answer this. Um, The Bible has been transcribed and changed into different languages for years on top of years on top of years. There are some historians who say that the original Bible actually didn't say homosexuality. It said pedophilia, um, which actually kind of works in the context that's utilized in the Bible. I said, um, so either one, it's really not homosexual, it's pedophilia, and we're not doing that. So I'm good there. The Bible also says that all sins are created equal. So you lying to your teacher today, you lying to me, it's no different than who I love. So it also says that we're all going to sin and we're all going to fall short. So if that's the case, I'm good there. The Bible preaches love. 
um i said you know there's a story where jesus is with the prostitute and says hey you know the 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 you know the city wanted to stone this woman and he said well you know whoever doesn't have have sin you cast the first stone nobody could do it and so god jesus stood right there by this woman and 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 stood by her i said so what i know is he's gonna stand by me because he loves so we went through all that and she just said okay well I'm fine with it. I just wanted to know if you were fine with it. You knew. <laughs> and I said, okay. Mm. And we went on about our lives. And then later on, she came out to me as being bisexual. And so what she really was doing is trying to make sure that she was going to be okay because mm-hmm. she was very rooted in her faith. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's probably the only really like kind of, I don't know if I would say hard or tough, but the only like conversations I really had to sit down and level set about. So let me ask you this then. With what are some of the most common misconceptions you hear people throw at you about polyamory? Oh my gosh. Okay. So one, everybody wants to try it. All the new people coming in want to try it, one man and two women. And they just assume that that's what polyamorous is. I try to tell them a triad is not polyamory 101. A triad is like grad school polyamory. And the reason being is, is a triad is four relationships, right? So let's say you and I were already an established couple mm-hmm. and then we bring someone else in. Mm-hmm. So the relationship between you and I is one. The relationship between me and a new person is one. The relationship between you and the, the new person is one. And then the relationship between all of us is one. So you're talking about four relationships. Mm-hmm. Then the difficulty there is a lot of times the, the already established couple always references the other person as a third. And we're looking for a third. We're looking to add to our relationship. And I, and I caution people, especially newbies, for doing that. Because I'm like, you're already saying that they're not equal. You're calling them a third. They come in knowing that they're not equal. And then what happens is a lot of times they're like, well, we're going to have a group chat and all of our communication is going to be together. Why is it that that person only can communicate with all of you all, but you all have individual conversations on your own? Why are we treating them differently? Then it's like, we're only going to have group dates together. We're only going to all have sex together. Why? You all have dates on your own. You all have sex on your own. So you're treating this person like they're less than, they're not as valuable. And then the other issue with that is a lot of times the relationship doesn't grow equally. Like you may like one person, have a better connection with another person and this other connection may be moving slower. And then it may happen vice versa. And then maybe you're angry with this person, but you're good with this person. When you're in a triad, you have a front row seat to that. So you're watching your other partner fall in love with someone else and someone else that you like fall in love with them. And maybe you're feeling left out. It's a lot of emotions to process. And so the misconception is that triads are easy and that everyone should do a triad. Absolutely not. I prefer all my relationships to be separate especially because I don't like for my relationship to be dependent on someone else. So I was in a triad before, and then I decided, I don't want to do that. That's not working for me. So I'm going to back out. I was totally fine with the other two of them staying together. I wanted them to, I I knew they cared about each other. That's great. I just don't want to do that anymore. So when I left the whole thing fell apart because it was just based on the triad. I was like, God, I hate that because I feel bad for them and their feelings, but I'm not going to jump back in it because I'm good. Um, but I was like, yeah, I don't want that. I don't want to be building a relationship with someone. And then because their relationship with someone else doesn't work out, then it hinders my situation. I don't like that. Um, I'm not a fan of OPP, which is normally the one penis policy, um, which is when men come in and they only want their female or only allow their female identifying partners to interact with other female identifying partners. 
Um, it's control to me, selfish insecurity. Um, I think a lot of times people hear poly and they just assume we're talking about polygamy and that's not the case. And I think people also get confused that polyamory is not based or rooted in, in, in marriage. It's actually rooted in, rooted in feminism. Um, and you don't have to be married. And so I think there's a, a misconception with that. Everyone doesn't want to be married. Everyone doesn't want children. Everyone doesn't want to be nested. I think a lot of the times people look at solo or not married people as if they're less than or they're trying to come in and steal your partner. And that's not the case. They do when they think they're good, you know? I think if people just worry about themselves, they'd be in a much better position. Mm. What about, um? because I know people, you know, like to judge. I know somebody says something about, what about STDs? And I know somebody says some stuff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I hear that a lot. And I tell them that, you know, what's interesting is people in the polyamorous or swinging community, any kind of um, non-monogamous community tend to be better educated and they're more liberal thinking and they get tested more frequently. So I actually have a testing schedule. I get tested every three months. So in the month of March, I get your standard five panel test, which is going to be your two types of HIV, um, your gonorrhea, your chlamydia, and um, your... uh, I'm missing something. Your HIV, your gonorrhea, your chlamydia. Um, what am I missing? I'll, I'll remember. I'm not an STD expert. <laughs> yeah, so I'll remember. It'll come back to me. Um, so I, gonorrhea, chlamydia, HIV, and something else. It's going to bother me, but I'm going to come back to it. Anyway, so I'll, I'll do that, right? And I do that um, in, uh, in the month of March. So then um, in September, or not September, in June, which will be you know, six months later, I will do a 10 panel. So the 10 panel includes your standard five panel, and then also adds HPV. So a lot of people don't know that you're not getting tested for herpes, uh, simplex one and two, when you do your regular STD testing. So it'll add um, HPV and then all your hepatitis tests. Okay. So then in September, I go back to the standard five panel and get that done. Oh, syphilis. That's what it was. So what I said, you hear me say that? I didn't. I'm so sorry. Yes. So your, your mm-hmm. HIV, your gonorrhea committee and your syphilis is what is your standard five. And then um, your 10 panel includes all five of those plus um, the two H two forms of HPV, HPV, which is, um, which is herpes. And then also your H your hepatitis test. Um, a, B, and C. So I get that done. And then September, I'm back at our standard five t- panel. And then December is when I have my well woman's exam. And so that's going to include the whole 10 panel. It's going to include trichinomus and it's going to uh, include bacterial vaginosis as well. And then they do the PID test, the pelvic inflammatory disease. If you are not specifically asking for these specific STD tests, you're not going to get them. I actually post my STD tests online um, because I think we have to get rid of this stigma that comes to STD and STIs. And I think the thought process is, oh, if you have an STD or STI, you're nasty. Well, you can be kissing people and get, um, was it the mono was a kissing disease when we were you know, younger, you get strep throat and nobody's tripping about that, right? It's the same thing. It's, an, it's a virus or a bacterial infection on your genital region 
you need to let people know. And so if there's a stigma that we keep perpetrating of people being nasty and we shame people, then people are not going to be open about it. And so if I were to get an STD or STI, I want to be able, I feel like I can communicate that with my partner without being shamed. Because not only do I want to let you know, I want you to go get tested. And then if you need to inform your other partners as well. And so I'm super open about it. So you post it online, huh? I do. I do. Um, so December 1st um, was when HIV Awareness Month starts. I go get HIV tested. I post it online as well. I used to do wine walks down um, in the neighborhood once a month. And there's like a van that's there doing HIV tests. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, let's go get tested. In hindsight, I was like, it really would like ruin the, the night if someone happened to test positive mm-hmm. on the wine walk. But I just try to get rid of that stigma. Until we do, it's just, oh, it's going to be horrible. Yeah. People be like liking it and comment on your. Uh, so I've had people who like it, comment. I have people who who will put their results on it as well. People who will thank me for being confident enough to put it on there. And it's not that I'm just like, oh, look at me, you can have sex with me, I'm STD free. It's more of, hey, let's get rid of this stigma. People post when they COVID results. People are fine getting online saying that they've got COVID. If you, okay. you know, if, I remember CPS coming to visit my house because you know my foster kiddos and my daughter had strep throat and I found out the next day so hey let me text a CPS worker because you're going to see other kids you were hugging on my daughter let me just let you know she has strep throat so you can Mm -hmm. be cognizant if you have it and then you can let the next family know hey you want to watch out for these symptoms why does STDs or STIs have to be any different true you're right I agree you know I've said a million times to people that the space between who you really are and who you're pretending to be is where your anxiety, your depression, and all that stuff lives. That space for you seems to have always been pretty tight, like there's no space. So I'm wondering, have you ever had to like seek therapy and have you even been in a situation where you feel like you needed mental health help? Yeah, so uh, I would say that so I've had a couple situations Um you know, like a lot of people, the pandemic was a lot because I am the extrovert of all extroverts. Mm-hmm. And so being at home, I couldn't go anywhere. I was losing my mind and work was crazy. And I was managing 63 people. And so I started um, doing artwork and I started seeking therapy then. Because um, at that point I had been separated for a while. So now I'm home with all these kids and work and it was stressful. So I started seeing a therapist from maybe like, March, April timeframe until September, I will say that I process externally. So it was nice to have someone to process with, but in all honesty, I kind of felt like entertainment for her because there was never a, hey, I want you to try this. I want you to read this article. It would just be, we get on the, she'd be like, okay, because it was virtual. So mm-hmm. we get on here and she'd say, okay, well, what happened this week? And I would just talk nonstop for 50 minutes. And she'd go, okay, what are you doing for self-care? And I was like, oh, I'm painting. She, all right, great. Let's schedule the next appointment. And I was like, what am I getting out of this other than just venting? I can vent to you, right? Yeah. Um, and so I got, in, I really got into my art then. And then I read this article about how mentally freeing riding a bike can be. The article that came out in September of 2020. I read the article in October of 2020. And I was like, I'm going to get a bike. And it was like till November of 2020 before I could find a bike because everyone was buying bikes. And that really helped. Um, and then last year, um, maybe like November, I started having some issues with my daughter. 
and um, so I put her in therapy and then I decided I'm gonna you know do some therapy and I will say something I struggle with is my boundaries um I will set my boundaries and I will bend them for those that I love. And then when they don't stick by my boundaries, I get upset. Or when I feel like they don't bend their boundaries for me, I get upset. And I had to, you know, take a step back and say, you know, that's a me thing. I can't expect people to show up like I do. And so either I'm going to be strong on my boundaries and then, hey, if I lose this person, I'll lose this person. If they get upset, then it is what it is. But I can't be upset that they don't do the exact same thing that I do. And so I think therapy is great. I think it is needed, even if it's just a check-in. Um, I think, unfortunately, in the Black community, we tend to shy away from it. Um, I think the month of May is like BIPOC Mental Health Awareness Month. Um, just recognizing the 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 struggle that our community has with having access to mental health care, as well as you know feeling comfortable enough to show up and request it. Um, so I am pro therapy all the way. But it's never been an issue for you as far as identity. It's just always been uh, stresses, pressures, anxiety, yeah. boundaries. Yeah, that's pretty much been it. Um, transitioning from you know, being married, and having kids and all the things, um, but never struggling with who I am. Yeah, you never had to wear the mask. It was... Mm-mm, I'm too cute for that. I can't be covering myself up. <laughs> <laughs> The damn sugar bear has arrived. <laughs> um, so this is the last thing I'm going to ask you then. I, I want to know, you know, um, for the young person or even the semi-young person, even the old person that's out there struggling with this stuff. Uh, what did you call it in the beginning? You were uh, ethically, mon- what did you call it? Ethically non-monogamous. Yeah, ethically non-monogamous. Which, you know, basically means you... <laughs> <laughs> so you gotta throw the ethical part you gotta because okay. if you just say non-monogamous people be out here cheating yeah, yeah, they're cheat. non-monogamous yeah, yeah. Right. but i'm ethical about it you understand what's going on right so for those that are ethically non-monogamous and they're struggling with it you know or uh what would you say to a young person like yourself but that doesn't have the self-confidence that you had or even the older person that doesn't have it? Whether they are, you know, whether it's in regards to being ethically non-monogamous, whether it's their sexual orientation, whether it's making a career change or something, people have to love themselves. You cannot look for fulfillment outside of yourself. Um, Everyone is not going to agree with who you are and you are going to lose people. When you comb your hair, your hair sheds. It's the only way that you can continue to grow is for your hair to shed. Same thing is with life, right? What's that saying to people are in your life for like a reason, a season or a lifetime? Mm-hmm. You have got to love yourself. I feel like the reason people tend to be ashamed and scared to come out about who they are is because of how other people are going to view them. I do not care how people view me. I am dope as fuck. Get with it. And so I would say, find security in yourself, become confident in yourself and love yourself. It is your story. You actually don't have to come out. I think it's great that that people do come out because it's encouraging for the people. I think it was October 11th is national coming out day. I agree, come out every year, not because I need to, just like on social media, just so someone else may see it and find confidence or comfort in it. Because I do believe representation matters, but I would say start out 
with finding confidence and comfort and love in yourself, because then you won't be worried about what you're going to lose externally because you will fulfill your own self. Period. Period. I also want to say, fuck them folks. They don't like you. (laughs) Who cares? (laughs) But, you know. Well, I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to sit down with me. We have been friends for a very long time. And you have been there in uh, pivotal moments in my life. Uh, I cannot write my story without you. Uh, So it's really uh, fulfilling for me to uh, be able to share this space with you and uh, and also gain some understanding of, you know, to, I mean, just to even know there's so many things about you that I didn't know. And even still through this, there's still more things that I didn't know. Um, um, so thank you. Awesome. It was, it was great. I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate the platform to hopefully educate or, you know, maybe someone else will just find more comfort and learn something new and we can just be less judgy of each other. All right. There you have it, everybody. I'm going to leave it right there. There it is. Uh, what I told you it was going to be. No shame in her game. Literally in there twice I heard the words pro-ho. And hey, you know, people show up in this world differently. And I know that others like to judge. And I'm sure there's somebody listening that it probably is being judgmental. And that's, that's, you know, that's fine. That's, that's everybody. They are who they are. And I'm not, uh. I'm just not here to criticize anybody for living the way that they want to live. I'm all about showing up as your most authentic self, reducing the anxiety and the room for depression by taking off the mask. Because when we take off the mask and show up up the way that we want to show up, there's more peace in our lives. So uh, I'm very proud of my friend for being who she is and and showing up the way that she wants to show up because, and I can say through, through observation, she seems to be one of the most at peace people that I've known in my lifetime and definitely one of the most confident. So, uh, and I don't see a problem with that. So... I hope that you all learned or were inspired to be who you truly are, uh, you know, and also inspired to to be less judgmental of others and get perspective on things that you don't understand before you pass judgment. Yeah, I think I'm going to leave it at that. Thank you all for listening. I appreciate it, truly. <laughs>